Out of adversity comes opportunity. It's a quote associated with Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers of the United States of America. But it's a statement that also rings true for the merino industry right now, because out of the last crippling drought has come some great opportunities. And in this episode of The Yarn, we're examining just that, an opportunity to double the size of your operation through intensification. Welcome to The Yarn, a podcast for the Australian wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming. So the very latest Australian Wool Innovation Nuffield Scholar is Andrew Rolfe. And what an opportunity it is for him. Joining the Nuffield alumni is quite the rite of passage for young leaders in agriculture. Andrew is part of a well-known family farming enterprise on the Monero in New South Wales, running a 6,000-head self-replacing merino flock. But it was the recent drought that has shown Andrew the opportunities around intensification through well-managed containment feeding. And it's a concept he wants to expand upon by compiling existing knowledge and seeking opportunities from other industries. So I caught up with Andrew where he said he's already had quite a bit to do with AWI. Yeah, so I've had a great, some great opportunities over the years to be um, to work with AWI. Um, Attended the Brilliant Leadership in uh, in sixteen, which was fantastic. So great learning opportunity and networking as well to meet my peers all over the country. Um, and then I've also been a part of the um, Juice Advisory Panel of Sheepnet New South Wales, which is again another great network. But also it's been fantastic to um, help shape um, the the direction of the um, Sheep Connect with the extension work they're doing. Um, and again, Megan and Fiona are doing such a great job there. Yeah, just what um, just before we start talking about your Nuffield, which is the topic today, tell us a bit about um, Sheep Connect New South Wales and your role in that. Because to be fair, that network has really um, shown its strength through COVID. They've been the leaders in providing webinars around uh, Australia for for wool producers. Yeah, so um, Sheep Connect is one of the one of the uh, the extension networks to. Um, Sort of boarded by AWI. Um, this is the New South Wales one we're involved in. So, um, obviously, coming into COVID, um, Megan and Fiona were pretty reactive, and they obviously normally were delivering face-to-face workshops with winning with wieners or ramping up repro, etc. So they were hoping to be able to continue putting out some really good um, topics and extensions. So they went to their um, webinar model, which obviously has been very popular through COVID, but had delivered some fantastic webinars, very topical about what's going on, and that's. That sort of fluidity has given them a chance to really react to the season of uh, coming out of a drought into um, some good seasons with uh, different risks and different opportunities. Uh, for example, been some great stuff from the uh, containment feeding all the way through to the ramping up repro stuff to um, talking about uh, like your condition scoring and all that sort of good um, solid information that can be used on the ground. It's interesting you you mentioned that because uh, obviously the most recent drought has has been a very significant experience for a lot of people. It was very extended and very expensive, um, but it seems like it's given you an idea to have uh, to to approach Nuffield. So yeah, exactly right, Marius. So um, coming into the Nuffield, like you have to put forward uh, what you like to study and um, what sort of topic i guess um area you like to study in so um we've just come out of a pretty horrific free on the drought and most of the um eastern seaboard is the same um but when we came into we sort of had to work out what we're going to do to try and manage it 
what we sort of end up doing is actually intensifying our operation, which seems counterintuitive. So, uh, top, like things like containment feeding and just that increased management of your stock that you've got so you can squeeze as much as you can out of your feed that you do have available also to minimise the cost of your supplementary feeding. So going forward with that, I thought, what, what if we did those sort of techniques and put that approach when we had a good season or an average season, what could we achieve in terms of stocking rate but also makes us more resilient for the next drought by retaining surplus feed and then possibly giving us opportunity to, to trade, um, trade other stock. So that's sort of what I put forward. Um, there's plenty of amazing producers in Australia, not only trees, which do some incredible things with um, in, not only intensification, but just, for example, the dairy farmers and the way they've actually been able to reduce their costs and increase their production, but like looking at the croppers with their precision agriculture, um, all these other industries have done these amazing things. I'd love to be able to pick the eyes out of it and bring it back to, to um, the marine production system, which I feel has probably suffered from... Um, sort of being the poorer brother in those sort of circumstances. Yeah, certainly um, I'm sure your study will be um, keenly read by a lot of people when you get around to it. Uh, it's interesting, uh, I'm, I'm a Victorian wool grower and um, I've noticed that uh, con- containment feeding has almost become commonplace in parts of Victoria uh, through the, that autumn feed gap period or just keeping stock off pastures and uh, the messages there for land use are actually quite uh, quite strong as well there, and um, clearly, when managed well, merinos can thrive in in that contained environment. Uh, exactly, yeah. So it's, it's just it's sort of even um, the perception of like it's a merino is just that one of those things that just keep poking along, and but it's amazing what they can actually achieve in terms of conception rate, wool growth. You actually give them the probably the the, the run that they probably deserve. So tell us a little bit about how you managed um, that type of situation, how you managed containment through the last drought, because it was a very prolonged drought, um, particularly in your part of the world. So um, we all sort of, um, we came into it um, with our sort of, <laughs> uh, with a fair bit of feed stored and um, sort of with a different enterprise system altogether too. So we were actually trading Reno Weathers coming into it. Um, but we wanted to maintain our numbers, so we had to work out a way where we could economically feed our sheep and also get around them all. Um, so what we started doing, with, I think a lot of people do start with the sacrifice paddocks, so your smaller paddocks that were probably degraded pastures to start with. Um, and as, as we went with, um, to, went into building the actual con, um, containment lot. Um, so our sort of management was that we sort of kept on top of our worm burden, which was one of those things we probably gets overlooked a bit that obviously increases their energy use but all come back to how much energy we needed to put into the sheep to maintain their condition score or bring them up to when we wanted to market them or to make sure their production was as high as it possibly could be economically. So I suppose in many ways you could look at it through um, energy efficiency. I mean using containment really increases the efficient use of energy in your system. Yeah, exactly right. What we also found was that because you're up there feeding them every day and looking after them, you actually, and being like you, having that management on your stock, like having that visual look at them, you sort of pick up on, you probably wouldn't have if you just let, let them run. Um, so that sort of came back into the intensification of things. Like we were uh, rotating grazing quite a bit anyway before all this, but um, sort of being able to sort of, 
year stock and gear the issues with them every day, we really meant we'll be able to hone in on which ones are doing or take them out of the light, give them another spot to live and um, sort of minimise the, the wastage on that other side as well. So you're better in touch with their production system, I suppose, and as you're saying, um, having that closer eye on uh, on their condition, on any disease risks and what have you. The flip side to all this, Andrew, of course, is your own labour. I mean, it's a very labour-intensive system. Um, how do you suggest people approach that when it comes to budgeting for a system such as this? Uh, you're, you're right. But, um, but I guess the way is with the, with the intensification, becomes, you become more efficient to, to handle that. So um, having them in con, uh, containment means that you've actually got them in one spot so your feeding takes half the time. You, um, but in terms of intensification, you, you should be able to essentially run more stock so cover that labour cost. But also it's, the other way of looking at it is that um, by doing that, you can reduce your workload by um, pushing you to a smaller area and possibly using other land use um, in, if your uh, land allows for it. So through your contained uh, experience, Andrew, tell us a bit about how your sheep performed in, in reproductively. Um, obviously, a lot of people join in containment, but did you also lamb in containment? So we are lucky enough to be able to get um, where we didn't have to. This time we actually had a bit of a break, and um, but also we were able to, because of the eastern seaboard had that, um, the rest of the state had a really good break, we were able to ship some cheaper half our stock off to adjustment, so that was meant that we were able to spread our rest of our stock out. But in terms of um, the joining side of things, um, yes, like managing that conditions before coming in, we were able to flush... Um, Flush our use and try and really get them cranking that sort of that sort of six weeks before joining, and get them really cycling. Um, and any green pick that we had, we preferentially gave to the young stock to try and to uh, maximise their conception rate. Uh, so we hadn't actually joined in containment, but um, I, I'm going to be looking at it this year, uh, next joining for sure. Especially we're going to try and join some new land. So here, that's probably the one of the better ways of going about it, and um, giving the boys um, that can actually go and find the girls. I know that's a bit of an issue, especially with um, those those younger lambs, new uh, lambs. That's interesting. So, look, looking ahead, at the end of your now field, I know it's quite a long way off, but what are you hoping that wool growers can read and see from from your study? Are you looking at perhaps creating a uh, ultimately a, a how to guide or a best practice guide? Well, what I sort of was suggesting was to like, there's people doing all this sort of stuff already in Australia, but also. I was, what I was sort of hoping to do is bring all that together and uh, sort of and like hopefully have a bit of a, a case study for all these different things, how they might work together in the system and whether that would be profitable or not. That was sort of my idea. But as I travel, I'm sure I'll see things that I don't even know exist and things that we um, pop up that we yeah, – that's what they say, sort of you go with open eyes but you find a lot more than you'd ever bargain for. So I'm hoping I'll um, pop into a few things I didn't – Expect, but um, I'm really hoping to, to yeah grab like like I said before, grab the best out of best practices out of other industries that apply to the merino industry, and, and really um hopefully be able to apply it to what we do here. Yeah, well, it, it'll be fascinating to see how that uh, how that goes, Andrew, because of course overseas in many countries um, animals are confined for 
long periods of time for all sorts of reasons. Often it's the, the cold winters that uh, sheep and animals need to be protected from. But let's talk a bit about how this is going to happen. Um, we all assume that COVID will all be under control in 2021, but um, one of the strengths of Nuffield is, of course, the international travel. Um, how are you approaching that? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, so my, it's going to be very fluid from my understanding at the minute and that um, the Nuffield um, hierarchy expecting us to be able to hopefully get going by mid-next year. But they're um, going to include an Australian component, which they don't normally do. Um, obviously, we've got some fantastic producers in Australia and to really get into their knowledge is, is definitely, uh, I think, a plus. Um, to be honest, I, I, I don't think there's any locks in stone at the minute, which normally there would be. Um, so I just hope, I suspect they're going to give us a little bit more time to get that trouble done. And um, who, who knows when we'll be able to get going, but hopefully soon. Andrew, it sounds like it's going to be a fascinating study, but a, a little bit about um, your vision for the industry. You're obviously relatively young and you're coming into the industry as a potential leader at an amazing time, um, why do you feel so positive and optimistic about the merino industry? Uh, yeah, I am. I'm relatively yeah, 32 at the minute. Um, yeah, it's an interesting industry. Well, I've always like, been a part of it, and I guess it's um, something I've known, but actually been involved in cotton and things like that as well. But um, look, we've come out of, like, obviously it's COVID, and that's really knocked, knocked our industry around, but it's not, we're not the only one. But the merino sheep, something it, like it produces such a beautiful fibre, but also the other side of it is the obviously the meat production. It's something that's it's, it's your purpose in its nature, but we've got this fibre that's sustainably produced. It's renewable. Obviously, we've got to be able to get better at telling our story around that sort of stuff. But I feel like that um, the whole product stands up. So in terms of economically, it's it seems like it'd be it's a good place to be, um, and with more affluent. Um, population growing, it, it seems like there's going to be a, a market to come. Um, obviously, the lack of supply will be an issue and it, it worries all of us, but I guess that means that if we stick with, with it, we probably be able to hopefully pick up that premium on that. Um, we're going to have to ride through some tough times at the minute, but um, with the, the strong meat prices, that can obviously help us keep, keep going as well. That's if you can uh, if you can buy a Merino U. You can't get one for under $300 right at the moment. They're pretty expensive. No. That's exactly right, and um, then obviously well, that's where the re- um, the people who are actually breeding merino use can obviously benefit and probably keep themselves uh, in the industry. Um, look, I, I feel like we um, even at the current price levels is still a profitable thing. In and um, if you look at the benchmarking data going going back from Holmes and Sackett in the last past um, decade, uh, the wool production has been better, if um, if not on par, but better than uh, any other. The, the livestock um, enterprises. Particularly when you factor in the risk associated with cropping, um, it, it really does shine through. So for those listening to this, Andrew, that think, oh, look, you know, I've been wanting to expand my enterprise and um, probably can't afford to buy extra land, just on a rough rule of thumb, from um, an, an intensification perspective, what opportunity is there to expand um, a, a commercial wool-growing business? Is it a case of, look, we could possibly double the size of our, our, our enterprises under intensification? Uh, absolutely double, and I guess it, it, the, the limit comes to what you can feed, afford to pay for feed, but I, I feel like um, 
looking at it, definitely from what sort of rough numbers I've been doing here, I reckon there's definitely potential to double the production, but but also not only looking at doubling, but perhaps making it more sustainable um, going into the future as well by giving you other options going forward. But yeah, definitely, definitely doubling is definitely possible. When you say other options, is this um, trading weathers or uh, growing out new lambs to to a greater extent? What are those opportunities? I guess so. The other options I sort of see it as is like, and what we're sort of planning for ourselves here is to be able to um, give ourselves a two to three year leeway first before we expand the operations if we can handle the profitability of it. So, like, therefore, we're not. We're um, coming into another dry period. That's probably our first port of call. But other other options are obviously trading. Not, that's going to be a harder and harder thing, I suspect, with um, people realising the potential of that. But also, depending on the area, there's other land use options that you could do. Or, but also by increasing your uh, intensification, you um, most likely will be able to increase your um, like your output of uh, land in a reproductive sense. So um, the big potential to um, increase your production that way as well. Yeah, that uh, that uh, makes a lot of sense. Well, it'll be fascinating to see how that um, how that all develops with, with time. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add there, Andrew? Uh, I just want to thank AWI for um, sponsoring for the um, this, this fellowship. It's a um, very good opportunity and I'm looking forward to making the most of it. Thank you very much for applying. We look forward to seeing you. Uh, your your work but also helping you discover other producers around australia andrew and um for the time being um good luck with uh, what you're up to now it's it's probably interesting to tell people that you're uh, uh we've caught you digging sil- silage pits so um that's all part of it isn't it it sounds like um you know conserving during the good times and uh having that reserve there when uh, when the bad times hit again absolutely yeah definitely part of the greater plan and um yeah and thanks again for having me Andrew Rolfe there, the latest AWI-funded Nuffield Scholar, and if you'd like to contact Andrew, perhaps you'd like to speak to him about your own experience or ideas with confinement feeding and intensification, contact us through the yarn at wool.com. So, as I said, he joins a wonderful collection of woolly Nuffields, including the likes of Tom Hook, Anthony Close, Scott Nicholson, Felicity McLeod, Jack England, and plenty more. In fact, you can see them all and their reports watch them on youtube at wool.com slash nuffield so it's time for an update and a bit of a fun one now, two episodes ago we spoke with and saw michael Caton from the recent film rams actually i interviewed him from my own shearing shed but anyway now we have some rams beer cozies or stubby holders there are only 10 of them to give away Head to our Facebook page to see how you can get your hands on one. They are definitely collector's items. So, have you reviewed us yet? We'd really appreciate a review from you on iTunes or on Spotify about this, the Yarn Podcast. It really helps others to find us. And, of course, we appreciate your thoughts and ideas. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed this podcast. But for now, from me, Marius Cumming, thanks for having a yarn with us.